electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Ford, Julia Borston. Today, another volatile week for the NASDAQ as big tech again underperforms. First, it was Microsoft, Google, and of course now Meta plunging after results this morning. Mark Zuckerberg bets billions on the metaverse. Investors wonder if the weakness will continue tonight with Amazon and Apple. Got to start that with Meta, the biggest laggard on the NDX this morning. Julia, talk a bit about the operating expense guide, and also, I guess, the silver lining, some argue, and that is that engagement continues to be somewhat robust. Yeah, I mean, first, the good news before we get to the bad and the ugly. Yes, engagement is robust. Mark Zuckerberg said that he thinks they're making gains in terms of market share with TikTok, which is, I think, a big surprise to many. And then in terms of making money from reels, he says they're making progress there and see more potential ahead. But the bad and the ugly is the fact that not only are they losing a lot of money on this metaverse division, but they expect to lose even more money on this Reality Labs division, that's what's behind the metaverse next year. And they're really not backing off. I mean, Brad Gerstner said it's time to focus on the fundamentals, which is the ad business, and spend much less on the metaverse division. Um, but Mark Zuckerberg is not uh, is sticking to his commitment to invest in a metaverse company and sort of talking about it as making Meta less reliant on his relationship with Apple. But John, John here, I think he must be feeling pretty vindicated um, to see that this, the metaverse bets are not being received so well by Wall Street. Well, Julia, it's not so much that I'm trying to say whether the metaverse is going to ultimately succeed or not. Although I, I've said I don't think it's going to be a thing in the next five years. What I'm saying is that this is an unprecedented amount of spending in a technology and a potential market. There is no market for the metaverse yet that is completely unproven. I mean, this is tens of billions of dollars that Meta is pouring into this. Tesla's entire market cap at the end of 2016 was somewhere in the mid $30 billion range. Like Mark Zuckerberg is not only spending what it took to create the iPhone and the iPad and iTunes and the App Store, he's spending more than what it took to create Tesla on on this market that we're not sure is going to work. And so it's starting to remind me of what Xerox and IBM and to some extent HP did with their research labs at the height of their powers Mm -hmm. where they poured money into technologies and and kind of it wasn't clear whether they were going to be able to transfer that research into uh, something that was going to be market relevant. And, And that might be where we are right now with Meta. Ouch, John, uh, comparing it to an IBM, of course, spent all that money, too, on AI with Watson. Um, maybe now seeing some of the fruits of that. But again, you know, with Meta telling us to expect another quarter of revenue decline, that would make it three. So this is a company moving in another direction. But guys, I do want to push back a little bit on this idea, though, that the core business, some of that optimism, that engagement is looking better. Julia, where do you 
I understand where they see that, but so much is being blamed on the metaverse pivot. When you look at the margins in the core business, they've also been contracting steadily. DAU's in its most lucrative region, North America, Europe, nothing to write home about. And in terms of that engagement, Reels versus TikTok, what is it, 18 hours a day for Reels versus 200 million for TikTok? Is that right? That seems like a huge gap. Well, look, I mean, yes, but what they're saying is they're making progress. I think the key thing here is generating revenue from Reels. That was the real thing that they have to figure out. So they've been pulling users over to this Reels format and it's increasingly engaging. The challenge is they hadn't been able to make money there. So actually the popularity of Reels was hurting Meta's Meta's profitability. What they're saying is that in the next year, they'll start to see Reels go from being a headwind to being a tailwind. So I think that's a key thing to watch here. Um, But it's so fascinating just to see this disconnect because the reality is, is that analysts expected Meta to see a 5.5%, roughly 5.5% decline in revenue. Instead, revenue declined 4%. And in constant currency, it actually would have been up by 2%. Mm. But none of that really matters right now. If the company is sinking so much money into this long-term bet of the metaverse, that in- analysts and investors are saying, wait a second, shouldn't you just be doubling down on focusing on that core ad business and not worrying about this thing or spending as much money on this thing that's maybe 10 years off in the future? Mm. And, and D, I'm not even talking about Watson. I'm going back to the, the late <laughs> 70s, early 80s, talking about things like Xerox Park, where the graphical user interface was sort of invented, but not commercialized. So, you know, companies at the height of their powers in tech historically have to be careful about being just a little bit right, or even mostly right, but getting the timing wrong and pouring Mm -hmm. huge amounts of resources in at the wrong time. I mean, John Warnock and Chuck Geschke left Xerox Park to, to start Adobe out of kind of frustration that all this money was being spent, but the innovation wasn't happening. So yeah. Zuckerberg is saying, in, in essence, he's going to be exactly right about the metaverse. Steve Jobs wasn't even exactly right about the iPhone ecosystem. You remember mm-hmm. he originally didn't want to have an app store at all. He, he envisioned third parties using web apps. The, the, the best leaders recently in tech have been pretty measured in how they time their investment and how they use constraints to fuel innovation. And I'm I'm not saying whether, you know, Zuckerberg is going to be right or wrong about the metaverse. He's made, you know, uh, billions of dollars being uh, right at the right times, clearly, and I haven't. But looking at history, he's playing a game where the odds are stacked in an extraordinary way based on the amount of money he's spending, D. And I'm glad you called that out. I think that Watson-IBM comparison may have been a little bit unfair because there is still a business there. We just don't know a ton about it because they don't break it out. Um, But, Julia, everyone stick around. We're going to take a closer look. We're going to go through more of these topics, bring in Platformer News founder Casey Newton. Um, Casey, thanks for being with us. Uh, I assume you just heard our discussion. Let me bring up a tweet by Bill Gurley, um, a subtweet, let's call it, because he didn't (laughs) specify who he's talking to. But he posted the definition of sunk cost fallacy. Shortly after Meta came out with those earnings, what do you think here? Um, Is this what Zuckerberg sort of caught in? He's poured so much money into this thing that he just can't get out now. 
I mean, it's clear that this is a true bet the company moment for Mark Zuckerberg. And whether you think that this is a sunk cost issue or not, the fact is he's been battered by Tim Cook's policy decisions and Apple around his ad business, and he's determined not to let Tim Cook control his future. So in his mind, he has to make the metaverse work for Meta to have any sort of future at all. So I understand why investors are so spooked by what they're seeing, but I think that in Zuckerberg's mind, he truly doesn't have any other choice. He either builds the next big computing platform or he's stuck just trying to you know, optimize an ever-shrinking ad market on iOS. Right, but uh, Julia, there's this, been this idea that, you know, at least what he's working on in terms of the metaverse has important developments in artificial intelligence. He's spent a lot of money on talent there. Is this something that later on, let's say he is too early to the metaverse or it doesn't turn out the way he expects that he can pivot all of the research and development they've done to make the core business better? Well, I think these are two very different things here, right? Because if you think about the way that they're investing in AI for the ad business, Meta has to invest in AI to make ads more targeted and measurable. That's because they've lost all that access to data due to Apple's operating system change. So one of their big investments is that type of AI. It's a different type of AI to create avatars with legs, which is something which is the next generation uh, of, of Horizon World of really bringing in a sort of more full version of an avatar. So I do think we're talking about different things here. And it's one thing to have Meta innovate on ad targeting, ad measurement, different formats, and another of them to really think about what the visuals are that are gonna be compelling for this futuristic world that we may or may not be living in in a couple of years. But I, I think it was so interesting to see some of those chip companies um, go up on the news that Meta is going to be doubling down on these metaverse investments um, because it's a whole new world to talk about headsets uh, and, and all the graphic chips that you need for that. So I just think this idea of Mark Zuckerberg trying to divorce himself from reliance on Apple, how far he's willing to go for that and how long it'll take to get all of us to a place where we're spending more time in the metaverse. Casey, um, it's, it's an extraordinary bet, <laughs> to say the least, that Mark Zuckerberg is making. And I, I wonder if you can kind of compare this with Facebook's halting efforts at making a smartphone, which they eventually pulled away from. And I just thought of another potential metaphor for what could be happening here, right? You could be right about the importance of, of flight in human transportation, but invest in airships and not airplanes, right, based okay. on your timing and maybe some nuances uh, around the technology. We don't know if Zuckerberg is investing in airships or airplanes right now and if his uh, timing is right. And I'll leave the Hindenburg opportunity just sort of hanging out there, Casey. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I think it's a good question. You know, one thing that's maybe worth saying, we're just going to know a lot more in a year, right? Because we know that Apple, too, is, is trying to figure out what, you know, whether it's building an airship or an airplane. We know that Google is working on something similar like this, right? So there are a lot of companies out there. The difference between Meta and the rest is that Meta is building in public and also Meta's business is really struggling, right? So I think a year from now, we're going to be able to make some more direct comparisons. And we're going to know, is, is Meta actually leading the pack here? Is all this R&D? paying off? Or did Apple spend way less money and get a much higher ROI? Casey, while we have you, um, last question for you on that tweet from Elon Musk this morning. Um, sort of what, what do you call that even? <laughs> um, reaching out to advertisers after a lot of the smack talking he's been doing over the last few months. Um, at the bottom line, though, Casey, he's got $13 billion in debt to service. How do advertisers know if this is genuine or not? 
Well, I mean, they're, they're going to know it's genuine if they actually get some ROI on their Twitter ads, right? And the problem with that company for a long time has been that the ROI has been terrible. So I'm glad to hear Elon say that Twitter is not going to become a free-for-all hellscape. And I do think that that is good news for advertisers. But the company has a lot to do on the product front, on the sort of client relationship front, to actually turn it into a meaningful business. So um, Elon's going to have to sort of put his money and his product team uh, where his mouth is there. JB, last comment to you. Look, I think it's so interesting. Musk is making it very clear. He understands that Twitter is an ad-supported platform. It will be for a long time. And he has to make it a safe place, not just for users, but also for advertisers. Just like we were talking about the importance of advertising to Meta, it is essential to Twitter for Elon Musk to not only protect that, but make it better. Yeah. Uh, both of you, thank you so much for helping us go through um, in depth these numbers that we got out of Meta, Casey and Julie, and a little bit on Twitter, too. John. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Apple and Amazon falling today ahead of results from both names later this afternoon, evening. Investors wondering, will the big tech weakness continue? We're going to discuss next. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Apple shares falling more than a percent this morning ahead of big results tonight. Our Steve Kovac joins us on what we can expect, Steve. Hey there, Carl. Yeah, so iPhone really in focus. This quarter is going to represent the first eight days or so of the iPhone 14 sales. And we're going to be looking for any commentary from Tim Cook about the mix of those sales. Is it, as we've been hearing a lot about, is it mostly those iPhone uh, 14 Pros, the more expensive ones that can kind of offset any flat demand for the iPhone on the revenue side. Um, and then services also in focus, Carl, because there are a lot of signals here, including from Luca Maestri, the CFO, saying that services uh, growth will decelerate in this quarter. And a lot of that's due to some of this data that we've been hearing from Morgan Stanley and others that app store sales have been down. And we're seeing Apple already kind of combat those headwinds by raising prices on Apple Music and Apple TV Plus just this week and putting more ads in the app store just this week. To uh, There's been a little problem with that. In fact, they had to, uh, to take away some of the gambling apps that have been proliferating throughout the app store because of that. But that is another way for them to make up on that services revenue. And then uh, looking forward, it's the supply chain stuff, Carl, because you remember last quarter, they were having trouble getting uh, 
meeting uh, Mac and iPad demand, so sales were down there, and whether or not that's kind of smoothed out as some of those COVID uh, shutdowns in China have eased up, although we are hearing again today, Carl, that there could be some renewed shutdowns uh, in some of the areas where the iPhone is produced. John, I'll send it back over to you. All right. Yeah, Steve, thank you. And now for more on what to expect from Apple's quarter, uh, Cowan's Chris Sankar, who has a buy rating, $200 price target on the name. Chris, when, when I'm thinking about what I'm curious about out of this quarter, I'm thinking about discipline when it comes to what Apple's building and inventory levels combined, frankly, with China and, and some of the demand dynamics outside the US. What do you think is gonna be most important? Sure, John, thanks for having me. Um, you know, to be honest, I think the iPhone numbers in September quarter held up pretty well uh, relative to three months ago. I think it's more like you've seen some numbers shrink for like December and into the March quarter. Um, I think inventory levels are going to be fine. I think supply constraints are beginning to ease. Um, I think the two headwinds are going to be number one, FX. You know, keep in mind 25% of sales is from Europe, where US dollar is very strong. Europe has their own energy crisis. So I think Europe is kind of going to be interesting. FX is going to be a big headwind. The, the question that investors seem to ask is like, does the fix even matter uh, for the stock? It's a headline news, but you know, the stock is gonna look past it. But I do think that looking into December, I think iPhone matters, services matter. Um, but you know, the real question to me is what happens to iPhone in calendar 23? Uh, unfortunately, Apple is not gonna give you guidance beyond one quarter. Isn't FX just another way of talking about demand elasticity, though. I mean, um, the, the iPhone is going to be more expensive for a lot of consumers outside of the U.S., outside of North America, certainly, right as demand in some of those areas is questionable. So you could end up with a situation where, yeah, there's demand for Apple's higher-end phones, and so that's good, relatively speaking, for margins, but the top line just really doesn't come in where some people might hope. No, I think it's a completely valid uh, argument. And that's why we actually trimmed our iPhone numbers into the December quarter. Um, it's still, I would say, relatively healthy so far, but you're absolutely right. You know, when you have 25% of your sales from Europe, uh, US dollar is strong, energy crisis, the consumer has less dollars or euros to spend. It's definitely something to worry about. Um, but all I'm saying is that, you know, I think the challenge to me is more into next year. But I do think that you've got, you're beginning to see moderation in iPhone sales. In fact, for next year, for calendar 23, we actually have iPhone units down on a year-over-year basis by about 6% compared to this year, because we do think you're going to see some moderation in iPhone demand. To your point, the consumer has less um, you know, uh, discretionary income to spend. Hey, Chris, just a question on positioning. You know, a big part of the discussion this morning is that there is a rotation away from mega cap tech, given Alphabet and Microsoft and now Meta uh, into cyclicals and industrials uh, and some other names that are X tech. Um, does that make the bar higher for Apple or do you think people rotate within tech to a name like Apple? You know, I think uh, it's an interesting question. The reason I would say that is because Apple has kind of been on a relative basis held up pretty well. Uh, and a lot of people have been in the name, although I would say many long leaves are, you know, look at it on a relative basis as to relative underweight or relative neutral to their portfolio versus actually being overweight. But the stock has held up well, number A, because they have a big buyback. Uh, they have very strong cash flow generation. And so the expectations are actually, you know, pretty baked into the stock that they have to do well. 
flip side is that I think compared to the other large large cap tech or mega tech, um, the growth expectations for Apple were never that high. You know, right from the beginning of the year, the, the growth was always going to be like you know mid single digits compared to some other names, whereas like you know double digits. So I think on that basis, the potential for disappointment is relatively low. But I do agree. I think given where the stock has done so far, which has been relatively okay, um, the expectations are that they better come out with a decent number, uh, or else there could be some trouble for the stock. So relatively okay, resilient, it's outperformed tech more broadly this year. Um, so what would investors need to see to get it to your $200 price target, especially in a potential recession? And you just said that you think we'll see some moderation in iPhone demand next year. So what gets it there? Yeah, Deirdre, I think, I think you know, uh, the interesting thing is I think, you know, people think of recession as the economic definition of two quarters of negative GDP. I think investors are looking at it more from a unemployment-driven recession. So in other words, percent unemployment starts going higher. Tech companies start laying off employees. Those are the high income generating, you know, customers of Apple. So to me, it's more calendar 23 when if, if you start seeing more higher unemployment or white collar unemployment and iPhone numbers start coming down, I think that's when the stock is probably in trouble. Um, so far, the numbers are resilient, but I would definitely argue that we're not going to see that yet or into this print or into the December quarter. Maybe some moderation iPhone sales because the demand isn't strong, but really it's about calendar 23. And uh, so far it's holding up. But I think when we get into like January, February is when we got to revisit where the estimates are. Um, but I would probably say that you know, the stock has been resilient because it's a huge cash flow generating machine. People feel kind of comfortable holding into it. And it's, it's held up uh, relatively well compared to most of their, most of its mega cap uh, tech peers or even the broader market. All right, Chris Sankar from Cowan, thank you. That's not all, guys. We've also got Amazon earnings on deck tonight. The company expected to return to profitability after two consecutive quarters of losses this year. Now, part of that is its stake in Rivian, less volatility this quarter. It's up, I think, about 5 or 6%. The company also took its medicine early. We've talked about this. CEO Andy Jassy cutting costs and taking steps to restore efficiencies, shutting warehouse spaces, freezing hiring in its corporate retail divisions, even in some units in AWS, and halting experimental projects, of which Amazon has a lot. Its advertising business, that's Amazon's fastest-growing segment, could also be more insulated from the macro woes and iOS changes that are hammering other tech peers like Meta, which we've just talked about. So, uh, guys, it did take its medicine, but is it enough? The holiday season, of course, expected to be weaker, and there are concerns about AWS growth there. Microsoft, did that foreshadow a deeper slowdown in the cloud, John? Um, yes, we're expecting that, but how much is key? Um, so we'll see. I mean, it feels like Amazon is pretty well positioned given all the costs that they ate earlier this year, um, <laughs> but <laughs> we've been surprised this earnings season, especially with big tech. I think on a day like today, we have to point out Andy Jassy's playbook is very different from Mark Zuckerberg's playbook, right? He's not leaning into a lot of very high-ticket futuristic spending right now. It's not to say that Amazon and AWS aren't spending on the future. AWS continues to hire in some divisions while slowing or pausing in others, but they're not pouring billions of dollars kind of sapping profits into uh, a lot of these initiatives. I so it's kind of like you got Zuckerberg way over here, then you got Jassy and Tim Cook kind of over here. I guess if you're bullish meta here, then you would argue that Jassy and maybe Cook aren't spending enough on the future, I but disagree. they're still spending on it. No, okay, I, I actually think that 
Amazon is spending more on CapEx than Meta is. I think it was $50 billion in the pandemic to build out all that extra capacity. The difference here, which I'm sure, John, you will appreciate, they're spending in the real world, warehouses, logistics well, yeah. network. I mean, Amazon CapEx, Amazon CapEx, way different from Facebook CapEx, right? They're actually it's moving atoms around. Um, yeah. yeah it, it's still at CapEx, but just a whole different structure uh, when it comes to margins, when it comes to revenue than you're getting at Meta. Uh, not to mention the higher prime fees, higher uh, ad margins, uh, seasonal AWS. surcharges. I think it was Bernstein back in September said that EBIT margin leverage should come back in spades. We're going to find out tonight. We've got more on Meta and why one analyst says it's still a buy. Plus, Elon Musk just over 24 hours or less away from owning Twitter. More on what comes next for that company in a moment. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. CNBC News update at this hour. The U.S. economy grew more than expected in the third quarter, thanks in large part to a shrinking trade deficit. At the same time, inflation slowed more than forecast. The chain-weighted price index, a key cost-of-living measure, fell to 4.1%. That's less than half the 9% last quarter. Caterpillar is leading the Dow with a 10% jump today. The company posting strong results and saying it sees strong demand from the energy sector as oil and gas prices remain high. The euro is down and occasionally trading below the U.S. dollar. The European Central Bank raised interest rates by 75 basis points, as expected, but it also hinted at a slower pace of hikes in the future. And Credit Suisse shares continue to fall after, result, after release of a weak results and a much-anticipated restructuring plan. And now down 18 percent, the Swiss bank will focus on its wealth management business and the spinoff of its investment bank. That's the very latest. John, back over to you. Frank Holland, thank you. Meta shares plunging as Mark Zuckerberg doubles down on the metaverse and his spending there. But in case the investor reaction wasn't enough, check out what a few tech leaders at the Wall Street Journal's Tech Live conference had to say about the concept of the metaverse this week. So I want to ask you to finish this sentence. The metaverse is. Living inside a computer. You don't want to do that? <laughs> the last thing I want to do when I get home from work at the end of the long day is, is live inside a computer. The metaverse is, in your definition? <laughs> Today I'd say, I'm going to get in trouble when I say this, it's a, a poorly built video game. Building a metaverse that looks like a meeting room, I, I just find that's not where I want to spend most of my time. You have to finish this sentence, both of you. The metaverse is? A word I'll never use. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, the metaverse is? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, right now, the, the metaverse you're looking is, for is brutal, sinking John. meta stock. <laughs> it's sinking meta stock today. But who knows what the future holds, Carl? 
Uh, yeah, Jaws really got to the point there. Uh, we talked with Joanna Stern about that yesterday, uh, and they didn't even mention uh, Palmer Lucky, John, and, and his own view about it, and that's coming um, as a role of a, a right former on. insider. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. it's not good. But you know what, guys? I mean, John, well, I, yeah. I feel like it's a great time right now maybe to be contrarian, right? Maybe, and that's, go back to the beginning of our show, that's when some of the best technologies are made. I mean, at least what you can say about Mark Zuckerberg is he's thinking originally, and he's really putting his money where his mouth is. Maybe we'll all be, you know, kicking ourselves a decade from now. I'm trying. It, it's not just putting his money where his mouth is. It's so much money, there is no mouth big enough <laughs> <laughs> right to handle all of this and so it, it's not about the technology um, you know th there are companies investing in VR Palmer lucky who believed in that who, who yeah. are saying this bet hmm? in AR uh, you know Apple certainly doing that but is not embracing this idea of a metaverse where, where the, the use case yeah. is unclear at this point we, we just haven't seen in modern technology uh, history this I amount of investment in both a technology and a business model that it's not just unproven, it just hasn't even materialized at all. And so that's not to say whether it's gonna work or not, but it's to just set up for investors out there. That's the bet that you're making if you're long meta right now, is that they are either going to succeed on a path just structurally that's never been taken before, mm -hmm. or that eventually Zuckerberg's gonna call uncle and, and cut the amount of investment that he's putting into this right now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a great uh, point to bring up with our next guest this morning. Uh, lowering his price target for the stock down to 135. It was at 195, keeping it outperform after calling the stock a top pick earlier in the month. Bernstein's uh, Mark Schmuelig joins us this morning, who's been on fire with your commentary, uh, Mark, <coughs> calling the OPEX guide crazy, almost too high to be believed, talking about investor betrayal. Well, as you point out, uh, super voting rights uh, sort of bring situations like this. Look, they do. Um, and, you know, I, I won't lie, having it a topic beforehand, uh, it disappointed, it shocked. And, and, you know, what's perhaps most surprising is we looked at the stock and we said there's three things that they've got to do. They've got to get engagement right, they've got to get revenue back on track, and they've got to keep costs in check. They actually did the hard stuff. Engagement surprised everybody. It's back on track. Revenues outperformed Google from a trend perspective, and nobody has any doubts on, you know, the long-term viability of digital advertising at Google. And so then the one thing that we thought this is most in their control, we're certainly going to get leverage here and, and control on costs just went in the exact opposite direction. Um, so we, we had to go back and entirely rethink our thesis. Uh, now, now, to John's point a moment ago, you say you're pretty sure that they will eventually take the OPEX guide down as they have historically done. What do you mean by that? You know, look, um, you know, they're, they're certainly aware of the stock reaction and historically, when they guide, they always guide conservatively. So there's always some buffer uh, in there. Um, you know, they've been they've been vocal about where those costs are coming from, and those costs that are tied to capex, I, I think, is good spend, right? It's spend to effectively reemphasize core. You know, get back the engagement that was being lost to TikTok, get back the ad efficacy that was lost to Apple's IDFA changes. That's good spend, right? The discretionary spend is tied to headcount and all of those headcount associated expenses many of which were hired into the Reality Labs division. Um, so historically, we've seen that number come down by several billion. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see it come down a lot more just given the reaction of investors at this point in time. Mark, I read your note this morning. You quoted your old swim coach who said, the bad news is you suck. The good news is you can only get better. But 
If you have a tiger mom like I did, she might say, do it or get off the pot. How do you know what is the right strategy here? And part of the problem is that Zuckerberg has done this so publicly. I mean, it's not like he's trying to do this um, while focusing on the core business or at least looking that way to investors. He's really bet the entire farm on it. Yeah, look, no love lost with my old swim coach, I'll tell you that. But, um, you know, he, he certainly has done it publicly. And what we had to ask ourselves is, if they were a private company, is this the right place to be putting money to work? You know, and, and we empathetically believe that investing in a computing platform shift, forget the term metaverse, we don't like that term either, um, you know, it is the right investment for them. We believe it is. It's the scale and the timing, you know, that matters. And certainly kind of building in public and a lot of the, you know, kind of commits on cost and, and, and effectively trying to prove everybody wrong, is it's significant at, at this point. Um, you know, and so we're not saying exit it by any stretch of the imagination. We're saying rein it in, you know, and effectively spend alongside the development of that market rather than overspending to try to create that market quicker. Uh, Mark, I feel for you that you don't love the term metaverse because they renamed the company Meta. So, uh, boy, but isn't it the case that at this point, the only constituency that can move Mark Zuckerberg, not the board, not, you know, investors, it's employees. What he's got right now is a Facebook stock that's back at, what, 2016 levels for a workforce that's mainly compensated in equity. And even though they might be working on a core business, um, their fortunes are tied to the metaverse, right? I mean, uh, if, they, if they go for the exit, then he's going to have to change direction, right? Yeah, look, I, I feel for them. Um, you know, and there's certainly been a lot of hate selling in this stock. This is actually a better quality company, even with all of this spending, right? I know we're all talking about crazy expenditures, but, you know, expenses up 14% guide year over year for a company historically growing revenues north of 20, you know, isn't all that bad. And, and as I mentioned before, especially if it's tied uh, to really kind of reinforcing the efficacy and the quality of their, their core business. But, you know, certainly I, I, I imagine this holds true for, you know, for folks both in our industry as well. You know, compensation is important. And when you're, you're compensated a lot in stock-based comp, um, you know, you either believe in the long-term vision or you don't. Uh, and I think, you know, Mark's been on record in the past saying, if you don't believe in that vision, you know, we may not want you here. And I think that's OK. Um, so back to, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a workaround kind of way, if you think about that expense guidance, yeah, there may be a lot of voluntary attrition that helps bring those numbers down. Mark, um, really good color. Uh, re really helps us frame the discussion this morning. Appreciate all your hard work on it. Uh, and thanks for coming on, talking a bit about it. Mark Schmulek over at Bernstein. We'll check out the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ this morning. No surprise if you've been watching that Meta is the top laggard. We're going to get more in market action after the break. Don't go away. Crypto prices have plunged alongside the broader markets this year. High net worth investors, though, they are still jumping in. Kate Rooney joins us with more. Kate. Hey, Debo, that's right. Crypto's bear market is looking like a buying opportunity for some professional and wealthier investors. According to an annual survey from Fidelity Digital Assets, 58% of institutional investors bought crypto in the first half of this year, even as Bitcoin fell almost 60%. That total was up six points from the same time last year, and about 74% say they plan to invest in crypto in the future. High net worth buyers really drove those results. Almost half of those 
surveyed say they now own crypto. Financial advisors were the next biggest group. Pension funds and endowments still have the lowest allocation. They tend to be by far the most risk averse. And the top reason for buying more than 40 percent see crypto as an asset with high potential upside or as an innovative tech play. And despite its correlation with the Nasdaq and QQQ, a quarter of these institutional investors are still betting on crypto as something that they call uncorrelated to other assets. I asked the head of research for uh, Fidelity Digital Assets about this. He says some of these clients tend to be those long-term investors who are willing to wait for those use cases to play out. The people who come along in this journey, who really put in the work to understand this value proposition, to understand how it works, uh, they're the ones that are thinking about it more tactically and using this as an opportunity to perhaps uh, take a position or add to a position. Um, so they're not the ones that are looking to, to trade on news or sentiment or, or price action, um, but to really build that core position. And of course, uh, now is a lot more appealing than a few months ago. The biggest barrier to entry, half of respondents still say it's price volatility. They also mentioned lack of fundamentals to figure out the value and security, although not as volatile as Meta or these tech stocks lately. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, what's interesting, though, is, you know, a lot of them said that they still see it as a store of value. Yeah. I mean, is that just what Bitcoin is now? There was, you know, all, we've always talked about where you can use that if you're actually going to be able to use it one day. And it doesn't feel like that's coming into the equation even now. It's really interesting. I heard the best analogy on this yesterday. Like it's look, like looking through a prism where you can look at the exact same thing and see a different color on one side. Mm -hmm. So you've got some institutional investors saying, this is just a high beta tech play. You've got some more on the philosophical libertarian side who say this is a long term store value because it's free from government intervention. And then you've got some of the early crypto believers or people who think it's going to be used as payment. So there really is no consensus so far on what it should actually be used for. And that's one of the reasons as institutions get in, it has been trading more like a tech name right. because they treat it that way in their portfolio. They are now the biggest one of the biggest cohorts and some of the long term holders are using it in that use case. But it'll be interesting to see if it does emerge or prove out that use case. It can be like everything to everyone or nothing to no one <laughs> exactly. is what I'm hearing, which has always been the case. Yeah, we'll see. It. And yeah. the, a lot of these investors have potentially a 10 year, yeah. if not multi-decade time a long horizon. Yeah. Hey, Bernie, thank, thank you. you. John. Well, here's my understatement of the morning. Investors not happy with Meta's spending spree. But some chip names sure are. Find out why after the break. Tech Check back in two. While Google and Microsoft have been cutting back, Meta is spending big, as you know, especially when it comes to chips. Christina Parts Nevelos joins us with that breakdown. Hi, Christina. Hi, Carl. So everyone's doing it, but not Meta. The social media giant actually surprised investors by saying it doesn't plan to cut costs and said spend even more on CapEx in 2023, roughly 12% more on data centers, servers, and network infrastructure, somewhat offsetting Microsoft and Alphabet's tempered tone on spending. So that's why Wells Fargo points to Arista Networks as a beneficiary, saying Meta could account for at least 10% of Arista's core data center switching business just this year alone. Microsoft, keep in mind, is also a large Arista customer. And then you've got Raymond James. The street is definitely weighing in on this. They like pure storage given that their data storage products and Meta recently became a customer just back in 2021. Keep in mind though, this company has a small market cap. And then you've got 
NVIDIA, AMD, other beneficiaries from Meta's spending habits given both companies specialize in artificial intelligence chips. Both stocks actually jumped yesterday right after 4 p.m. You can see it on your screen there and are still trending higher today. Well, at least the case for NVIDIA right now. And then JB Morgan says that they believe Meta could become Broadcom's next $1 billion per year cloud customer over the next few years, given Broadcom's strength in high-speed computing. And then lastly, Jeffries points out that since Marvell Technology makes these systems on a chip, order trends from Meta could actually increase in the next little while. So Meta's build the metaverse or die approach clearly comes at a cost, but could bode well for the much beaten down chip names. Did you? Thank you, Christina. And NVIDIA has certainly been holding up the NDX this week with a 21-point impact week to date. Um, another company that's holding up the NASDAQ, Comcast, our parent company. Shares are popping after the company beat on the top and bottom lines, despite a slight revenue decline and continued softness in broadband consumer growth, customer growth, excuse me. The company added 14,000 customers for the quarter. You can see there, shares for the year, though, down 34%. Tech Check is back in a moment. Welcome back. Time now for a gut check. Take a look at ServiceNow. Shares are surging after earnings per share came in higher than expected for Q3, posting a miss on the top line, cutting subscription revenue guidance for the full year. CEO Bill McDermott taking a deep dive into the quarter with Squawk on the Street earlier this morning, saying he is still focused on growth despite the broader volatility. Carl, um, you are part of that conversation this enterprise software sort of recalibration continues. Uh, indeed, uh, Bill talked about uh, the macro, you know, remaining tough, uh, especially in Europe. It said, uh, D, that ServiceNow is uh, built for all weather conditions. We had mm -hmm. the upgrade by Guggenheim on Monday. And of course, last night it was Moffitt uh, arguing that not only have they sort of refined their product, uh, but now they're going to benefit from those who are looking for a new home in tech. Right. And McDermott really leading a master class this year and how to communicate with the street. Remember, um, it was the first to talk about those elongating sales cycle, so, John. Um, but, you know, updating the street when it needed to. And now that upside surprise sort of reaping the benefits of that 12 percent today. Yeah. And still got ambitious long term targets that are actually being used to uh, to sort of hold Mark Benioff's feet to the fire, I guess. Uh, at least that's what activists are trying yes. to do. Uh, we'll see through this uh, down cycle how those continue to pan out, Dee. That's a great point, uh, Starboard, in that presentation to take a position, an activist position in CRM. Use ServiceNow is a good example of a company that's able to grow share while focusing on that margin expansion. Meantime, guys, shares of Shopify, they also reported they are higher this morning. Uh, revenue beat expectations. Stock is up, let's see. For nearly 15%. The company, though, still has a long road to recovery. Shares are down, we'll zoom out, more than 75% for the year. Shopify president Harley Finkelstein joined Squawk on the Street earlier this morning, saying that he remains confident in the company to help merchants combat macro headwinds, providing a unique opportunity for merchants to diversify their retail channels uh, with social media integration. Have a listen. 
I think the key is going to be in the same way that merchants during the pandemic had to reset how they did business and where they sold. The same thing goes now. If one particular channel is not working well, shift to a different channel. The reason you see us talk about things like audiences, which an hour ago, we just announced a new integration with Google on audiences, but our integrations with, with Instagram or integrations with TikTok and Spotify um, and Snap is we want to make it really easy for merchants to find more customers, regardless of the climate. And by providing with more versatility, it means that we future-proof their business. But um, I, I think we'll see a, a good holiday season. It'll, it'll remains to be seen how strong it's going to be. But our merchants now, we have millions of them, are getting ready to sell. Yeah, and guys, this is this is another company that has been spending money again, uh, John, in the real world on its logistics capacity. Um, we'll see how that sets it up for their for the big holiday season ahead. The fourth quarter, which is so critical um, for these e-commerce companies. Um, do you think, though, there's any read through for Amazon here? Um, read through for Amazon. That's tough. I mean, Shopify is, is a competitor of Amazon's. Um, and I know people disagree with me on that, but they're competing for the, the primary loyalty of that third party retailer mm -hmm. that could just go all in on Amazon and, you know, the majority of Amazon sales coming through third party retailers. Or they could center in the optionality that Shopify represents that allows them to sell some on Amazon, you know, shift to marketing through Facebook, through Google, et cetera. Um, Carl, it. it it means that D to C and perhaps the tanking that we've seen in that uh, is not as severe as some might have feared that there's still, uh, you know, an, an exciting e-commerce ecosystem there to be bet on. Yeah, we'll find out. I know B of A is looking for holiday spend up 1-3. Uh, last year was up 6-5. So we're going to be getting more signals about holiday spending in the coming weeks. We'll get more on Meta. Tech Check's back in a minute. Guys, one more thing before we go. Want to return to Meta. Those shares still down about 23% uh, year to date. Just been a brutal picture, guys. Um, it's interesting. We're about halfway through the biggest of big tech earnings. We've got Apple and Amazon tonight. And feels like investors are looking for efficiency, but they're not really getting that yet. At least when it comes to Alphabet and Meta in particular, they want costs reined in. Will Apple and Amazon give that to them a little bit more? I think that's going to be a key question going in tonight and for what that means for markets going forward. Yeah, I mean, Tim Cook has never been a prodigal. I don't expect we're going to hear, you know, see Tim Cook spending a bunch of money in a way that's going to shock investors. Amazon does that sometimes, hasn't yet this cycle. But, Carl, I think the theme of the day is billionaire geniuses making billions of dollars disappear, whether that's Musk getting his hands on Twitter, which he kind of didn't want, or Zuckerberg spending on the metaverse. Yep, uh, it's going to cost him $11 billion today, John, and that brings his total wealth loss, uh, according to Bloomberg, $100 billion in just mm -hmm. 13 months. Let's get to the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. 
Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.